0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the 360 Method, the Autism 360 podcast, where we chat about everything that's going on in the program. We chat with team members and we talk about all things mindset, as well as exploring relevant ideas that autism parents think about. This week, we're chatting with one of our delightful speech pathologists, Joe Rowland. Hi, Joe. Hi,
1: Ella. Thanks for having me today.
0: Oh, that is my pleasure. Joe has a special interest in echolalia and loves to support families with understanding how they can turn echolalia into a positive for their child's communication. Woo, we love that. I am your host, Ella Bailey. I'm an Autism 360 veteran coach and explorer of all things parenting support. So welcome to you, our lovely listeners. It is so good to have you back with us in 2023. Um, We've been collecting your questions and your comments, and we're going to do a coaches Q&A coming up pretty soon. So we care about you and we care about your thoughts and your experiences. So whether you're a program member or not, we would love to hear from you. Please drop us a line at hello at autism360.com. We would love your feedback and your thoughts. And if you've got some questions for Jo about Echolalia, shoot them through and we'll drag her back on here and get her to answer those for us. So before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, on whose land I live and work, and from where this podcast is being broadcast today, and also make the disclaimer that despite Joe's brilliance, this, uh, this podcast does not uh, substitute for medical or allied health advice. If you're concerned about yourself or about your little or about a loved one, please do seek help from a professional. So, Joe. Hello. Hello. Let's talk about (laughs) echolalia. I'm so excited. I don't know, you know, this isn't my area of expertise, so I'm kind of keen to hear about it. And I'd love to know, like, just start with the basics. What's the definition? What are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, echolalia is one of those things um, that often we a lot of people don't actually know about, like they they realise it's happening, but they don't really know the why. So it's been really good to kind of come on and have a chat and hopefully guide parents a little bit more with um, recognising it and also what to do in order to get some extra help with it. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's basically a term a parents have heard of, however, they might they might explain it to me as being like their child is copying or parroting back what they hear that's often how I um, have it explained so when I say the term echolalia um, it's just the clinical term for this this form of communication and it yeah, it just involves um, the repetition of sounds, words or whole sentences. So developmentally, it's quite normal for all children to have echolalia in the early stages of learning language. Um, but what we often find with our children with um, on the spectrum or with autism is that they often use it as their main form of communication. And then it carries on a little bit later um, in life as well. So yeah. Um, so when we talk about um, echolalia within, within um, our neurodivergent children, we can break it down into kind of two main forms of echolalia. So the, the most common ones, and there's a lot of subcategories, but the most common ones are immediate echolalia and delayed echolalia, um, which are pretty much true to their names. So with immediate echolalia, the child will echo as soon as it's heard as soon as a phrase is heard so for example a parent might say um, Jessica come here and the child repeats straight away Jessica come here um, so it's straight away they hear that they hear the the model and they repeat it back and delayed echolalia is exactly that so at some time later the echo will present so um, we often find this is really common when a child has had a a learned script from YouTube or from a a movie or something like that where they take a character's um, talking and then they'll apply it in some other out-of-context situation. And um, that form of echolalia requires a little bit of detective work. Um, so, yeah, that's wow. pretty much how our kids, yeah, how our, how our parents can kind of identify it. Mm-hmm. Some children use it in in um a lot. Some children use it a little bit. It depends
0: on where on their journey of learning language they are. Wow. This is making me think of, of parents who come to me feeling really frustrated when they ask their child if they want something. Hmm. So, you know, Johnny, do you want a cookie? And then Johnny says, Johnny, do you want a cookie? Mm-hmm. And then mom or dad says, yes or no? And Johnny says, yes or no? And just yeah. yep. like, throw the cookie in the air. And I'm like, no, cookies.
1: Yeah, right. because we often take it quite quite literally and this kind of brings me to something else I want to talk about is why our children use it. So um, so that first example is really good. So it's kind of to ask for things. So the example would be, do you want a cookie? And then to ask, do you want a cookie? Because that's the way he's heard it offered. Um, they often use it also to draw attention, draw somebody's attention to something. So a child might draw attention to something he's noticed by using a line he's heard before that someone else has used to draw attention, so he's kind of doing it like that um, to keep it to keep an interaction going. Um, often, children know that they're supposed to stay in an interaction and have that back and forth with someone, but they don't quite have the the language to help support them, so they continue to use the scripts. Um, to them, it's very very meaningful, um, wow. and often t- yeah. So there's there's a few
0: reasons why
1: they might use it.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, Something I remember being taught back in the day was that you should swap around your kind of more preferred item from your less preferred item and see if that makes a difference to the kiddo copying you. Yep, yep. I always, I I think,
1: yeah, I think in general it's really important to um, teach um, our kids with autism using what draws them in first definitely Mm. um their interests and um there's there's a lot of different strategies and that that's the hard thing um a lot of allied health workers or speech pathologists in general will have a lot of different kind of strategies to help you um Mm. they might differ from each other might kind of be the same but we just got to remember the underlying principle of what we're trying to do
0: yeah totally well I mean where did your interest in the topic develop why do you love it why is this your thing
1: yeah, I I guess um when we work with kids with um on the spectrum, I think it's really important for everyone. You can't help but have to be immersed in it because it's such a a popular and a, a very uh, sorry, a common um a common form of communication for our kids. So, we'd be doing them a bit of a disservice as if we didn't actually as allied health workers understand about it because it's such a it's such a key um a key part of helping our kiddos kind of um, towards, you know, functional communication. Um, So, yeah, I guess um, as a speechy, I I see it every day. I've been immersed in it. And then you just have to, you have to learn to love it in order to help our, to help our kids and our parents. So, um, yeah, I always encourage um, OTs and psychologists and really work close with them to help, help them understand what it is as well, um, because they also do, Um, a lot of therapy with our kids and it's really important that they
0: also um, feel confident um, communicating yeah do you think that there's good understanding across those (laughs) other disciplines about echolalia and and Um, what what to do
1: I definitely think there's room for improvement in that area for sure um, because often we get, and it's a very natural thing that um, OTs concentrate on a certain thing with our children. Um, look, I wouldn't say that I'm overly confident with sensory things, so I would go to an OT and have a chat with them. Um, that's why it's also so important um, for our parents to, and for allied health workers to talk to each other and to um, pick up on the strengths of within our, within our discipline and share those Um, with our allied health friends and anyone else who's actually um in that child's team
0: yeah of course and being able to share knowledge of not only something like echolalia but also about the child and their engagement with with their echolalia and their communication
1: yeah exactly Um, Yeah. yeah
0: yeah interesting i mean um a, what do you think parents should be looking out for if this is something that um, they haven't come across before, or signs that this is something that your child's speech development is going through? What yep. are some big flags? Yep. Um, and then maybe we'll talk about some strategies after that.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think being asked the question, I th- I I guess that. Um, a big flag is obviously you're hearing the repetition. You're hearing that repetition straight away, um, or you're hearing. Often, I, often, what my personal experience is, I'll, I'll have families come on board with me, and I say the term or start describing this the characteristics of echolalia, and this is something they are kind of going. Oh, actually, they do do this. My my child does does do, does do this. So. It's one of those things that sometimes they have to hear from a from someone asking them some specific questions about the characteristics of their language. And then it's kind of like, oh yes, actually in this situation, they do repeat back in this manner. Um, sometimes you just need someone to open up a little bit and then they'll be able to they'll be able to see it. Once they know about it and are educated on what it looks like, you'll see it in more places and more opportunities. Um, than before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Absolutely. And so if somebody is noticing some of the signs that you've uh, mentioned, they're, you know, they're recognizing these um, flags that you're saying, where would you say is just a broad place for them to start?
1: I would definitely, um, if you, I would definitely, um, if your child is not diagnosed or you're having other concerns because usually there's other concerns that would come along definitely go to EGP first um if yeah. you've done that whole process I would definitely be trying to reach out to a speech pathologist I know in this day and age it's very difficult to actually find people to get on board with straight away so there might be a little bit of a wait which is why um we're going to give you some strategies on what you can do if you're in that position where you are waiting for speech pathology services, and um, unfortunately, um, a lot of places have very long long wait lists. And
0: absolutely, um,
1: yeah, your your speech pathologist is your your friend in this area, and it's our job to. Don't be worried if you don't know too much about it or you're concerned. That's our job in order to come in and to give you that advice and to. It's a journey, so we'll be be along that with you so definitely try and reach out in that
0: respect get the support absolutely absolutely I um I noticed um a kiddo who I was working on a little bit of scripting type behaviors um something um something kind of like a delayed from YouTube similar to to what you noticed and it seemed like he sort of grew out of it for a while or he kind of seemed to have developed past it or wasn't using it as much. But then I noticed that when his dysregulation went up or his distress levels went up, it would start to, it would start to pop up again.
1: Yeah. If you can kind of think of our, <clears throat> sorry, our brain is, um, we all, we all have different capacities. Mm-hmm. um. So we kind of know that our language center in our brain. So our language center is in the left side of our brain. Um, if a child is, like using other resources at that time. So they're highly emotive. They're tapping into um, their stress levels. It's really hard for them to go reach into their little dictionary in their brain and figure out what's the right way to say this. What do I need? Because that's a whole other cognitive load on them. So what happens is the emotion and and the feeling. If you can imagine kind of when you're highly emotive as a person, you often find it difficult to communicate. Um, that's because neurologically you're not thinking about tapping into your communication centre. You're more trying to deal with what's going on in that frontal frontal lobe of yours and trying to regulate your emotions. So um, language at that time isn't the main focus in our brains. It's trying to regulate. So that's often why um, it might kind of seem like there's sometimes it's there a lot and then sometimes the child is able to produce more spontaneous functional um, phrases. So just keep in mind that, yeah, emotions and um, self-regulation play a big part in whether a child can tap into that communication centre at that time and just be aware that we're not putting too much demand on them to communicate if they're in that space.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting and I guess um, next week we'll talk a little bit more about um, some kind of strategies in detail um and that kind of thing but um do you have anything that parents and carers might be able to try at home if they've started to notice this kind of thing some kind of low-hanging fruit
1: yeah definitely um there's definitely quite a few things to try and it's all going to feel quite unnatural because it might be things that you're not used to actually doing um you have to like almost speak in a, a different way and really simplify what we say so something that's really good if we have a child who actually uses um, immediate echolalia is so we want to use language that will still make sense if it is echoed so it's still it's appropriate so instead of saying time for bed what works better is is more are you ready to go to bed so if they echo that it's still it's teaching them in a different way it's not it's not it's more appropriate for them to echo that phrase. Um, it stops the, It's kind of puts a block on that. Um, so model short phrases, even if your child can use long memorized sentences. So um, the child needs the simplicity to connect the meaning with the words, even though their memory does allow them for long phrases. So we don't want to get caught up in, um, okay, my child has a very, very good memory, which is a great strength of our kids with autism. Sometimes we need to just to make that, to help make that communication functional, we want to start giving them little short carrier phrases they can use, such as, I want such and such, I want, I need. Those carrier phrases are very popular within our, um, the way we do working. And um, it just helps them kind of request. Um, spontaneously and more appropriately for what they want rather than parroting back what's been said to them.
0: Okay yeah totally.
1: Um, Also another really important point is um, always expect comprehension difficulties with our children with echolalia. So children who understand language well do not routinely echo whole sentences. So sometimes we can get a little bit um, confused that okay our child is saying a lot of echoed or a lot of words. They have a lot of words, but what we really want to tap into is, are they understanding what they mean? So um, we also want to do um, some work on their receptive language ability. So we want to under, we want to help them understand, do they know what the functions of things are around the house? Like, what do we use a hairdryer for? What do we, you know, help them with functionality around simple everyday objects that they would have just in the access of their own environment and things that come up for them every day. Um, And the biggest tip I can say is um, less questions and more comments. So less questions, more comments. So comment more on what they're doing rather than bombarding them with what we call WH questions. So who, what, where, why, when? Try and comment more on what they're doing.
0: Okay, that's such a good place to start. Especially, you're totally right about the waiting times thing. It's such an issue, isn't it? The yes. yeah. unavailability. Yeah. I guess you know. Perfect time to plug Autism Three Hundred and Sixty. We don't do wait times. <laughs> you yeah. know, we've got we've got people ready um, to work with our listeners, which is super exciting, and it's something we're super proud of. Definitely. Um, so I I'll uh, wrap us up for this week, but um, I guess. Is there any one thing that you would want somebody listening today to take away in terms of their understanding of echolalia? I think the
1: biggest takeaway, and this is the biggest thing I think, is please see it as a functional way to communicate and that it does have meaning. Um, How we help get there is we can talk about a bit later, but that's the biggest key. It's not meaningless and it does have function. That would be, it's the way we need to look at echolalia um, that,
0: that, that we need to change, definitely. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Joe. No worries. It's been Thank really you. interesting. So for our lovely listeners next week, we're going to get Joe back on to do a bit more of a deep dive on some um, strategies for uh, more advanced uh, echolalia kind of management or working with echolalia, shaping echolalia. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I can't wait to uh, chat with you again next week. And until then, think 360.